morning. How are you guys doing today? It's good, good, good to see you. Uh, man, it's going to be 80 degrees outside. Isn't that awesome? I was thinking about that uh, the other day that in Oklahoma, like, like last week it froze, and you know, today it's going to be 80, and spring's coming on. Easter's almost here, isn't it? Easter's almost here, so uh, I'm going to be saying a little bit, I'm going to say some few things about, a few things about that at the end of this worship, but I need to dive right into this because i got a whole lot to cover in just a little bit of time. Nothing in life just happens. Anything worthwhile in your life, it's going to come as a result of a struggle. Anything that you're pushing towards, anything that you want from God, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. In this series, we're going to take three weeks, and we're going to talk about the last few hours of the life of Christ. And we're going to talk about some of the things that he struggled with on the night before he was crucified. And hopefully it's going to reveal some things and relate some things into our lives about our current struggles. Are you ready for this? Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. And thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here and learn of your word. I pray that you will speak to us over the next few weeks of this series and talk to us, especially if we're struggling Lord, let us, let us realize that the struggle leads to something, Lord. And I pray that you'll bless our time here together in, every, in, in, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, hey, nobody said this was going to be easy. See, that's your problem. Everything's been handed to you. And now you've got to struggle and you, gotta, you don't know what to do about it. Anything in life that is worthwhile will always be a struggle. I wish that were not the case. I wish, I wish things just fell into place, that life just happened and things fell into place and everything that you wanted fell into place because it was, because it was easy. Imagine, if you, were, if you will, go in your mind's eye and imagine a world where, as a student, you loved going to school because it was fun and adventurous and the teachers were engaging and friendly. Imagine a school like that. Imagine a world like that. And every test was easy and you aced every test. Because life was just that way. And after college, you were awarded with the best job, the dream job. And then you were given a house because you graduated college, because you earned it while you were in college. And you were given an SUV, your, your, your dream SUV, your dream SUV. And then imagine a world where you loved your job. It was easy and you had plenty of time off. That, therefore, you could spend plenty of time with your family. And go on all the vacations that you wanted because life was just that way. And it just happened. Imagine living with your dream spouse, meeting your dream spouse, and your dream spouse staying hot for the rest of your life. Imagine a world where your kids acted perfectly and they never got into trouble. And you never had to get on to them because things just fell into place and it just happened. Imagine a world where all of the food that you loved was good for you. It was necessary and a part of a balanced breakfast to have six warm Krispy Kreme donuts every single morning. Imagine a world like that and you had to eat them in only two bites. Imagine a world where bacon cheese fries, super nachos, meat lovers, cheese pizza, and chicken tenders dipped in gravy were part of a healthy, of a healthy balanced diet. We'll have to edit that out. And brownies and ice cream were necessary every night before bed. It was, here, you have to have this. Imagine a world like that. Bodybuilding, muscle development, cardio, it happened while you sleep. Exercise caused attrition and it was discouraged. You can't do that. Imagine a world where 
There is no traffic that confused or bewildered people with no sense of time or direction. We're not at every single intersection in the city at 8 a.m. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a house that did its own cleaning, its own laundry, its own maintenance. Every single day, it just happened. You left, you came home, everything was taken care of. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where everyone smiled and was happy every single day because we always got what we wanted when we wanted it. And life was easy because it just happened. Wake up. You're dreaming. It won't happen. It's not going to happen for you because everything in life that you want, everything in life worthwhile, everything in life that brings fulfillment into your life, it's going to be a struggle. Nothing just happens. I never met anybody ever that ever accomplished anything significant that said to me, and when I asked them, I said, well, how in the world did you do that? And they looked at me and said, I don't know. It just happened. I never met anybody. I never met anybody that really went after something and accomplished it. And then we're like, hey, how did you do that? And they were like, it just happened. I just woke up every morning and went, it just happened for me. I had this tremendous amount of fulfillment and success. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. No, sir. Listen, anybody, including you, anybody that ever accomplished anything worthwhile, anything that ever, that went, ever went after something, they can tell you exactly how they got there. And they can tell you every step that they took because every step was a struggle. And here's what we have to ask ourselves. We don't just want to struggle in life. We want there to be a point to the struggles that we go through. What we got to ask ourselves is, is today's struggle leading somewhere? Is today's struggle leading for tomorrow's success? Is today's trial worth tomorrow's triumph? If today is today's valor worth tomorrow's victory, is today's danger worth tomorrow's destiny? If that's a yes, then you hold on. You keep fighting. You keep struggling because today's struggle is going to bring tomorrow's success. If you believe that, say amen. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about the last days of Jesus, actually the last few hours of his life that he faced. He faced unprecedented struggles in this time that would lead him to the cross and eventually to the resurrection in more than one arena of his life. The first area that I want to talk about, today I want to talk about Gethsemane. Next week I want to talk about Golgotha. But today I want to talk about Gethsemane. What was the struggle like for our Lord Jesus and what brought him to a place where he had to surrender? First of all, Gethsemane means oil press. So Gethsemane was a garden east of the Jerusalem, beyond the Kindred Valley. It was near the Mount of Olives. So this was a favorite place that Jesus would go to. He would retreat, he would get away from people, and he would spend time in the garden. He would spend there, uh, time there praying to his father. He would take his disciples some time. But this was a place that he really, really loved. But this place would eventually be the place where he would go under an enormous amount of stress. And in fact, the Bible says he was in agony in that garden. And then he would face his betrayer, Judas, and then he would eventually be arrested. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. The night before, the night before Jesus was crucified, he goes to this room, and there they, this is where we, we talk about this, where he has this last supper. That he, he tells his disciples, I want to spend some time with you, and he spends, if you, I think it's, it's, it's John about the 13th through the uh, 14th and 15th chapter. He says all of these things to his disciples. He prays with them. But John 13 and 1 says this. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew. Now, now, let me just back up for a second. 
What I want you to realize, and I think that this is what John was trying to kind of hammer home with this passage, was that Jesus was about to walk into the worst, the most trying, the most challenging time of his life, and knowing all of that, knowing past, present, and future, what was going to take place, listen to what he does, okay? Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel, he had around him, knowing all of these things. Now, we know, we can look back at what happened to Jesus, and we know that he would be betrayed, he would be denied, he would be abandoned, everybody would leave him. And, let, and yet, Jesus, knowing all of these things, that's what John was saying. Now, I don't know about you, but if I just spent three years with 12 guys, and I was imparting them, and they'd seen me work all of these miracles, and then in a few hours, I knew that they were all going to abandon me, deny me. Uh, one of them would, be, would betray me. I wouldn't be washing their feet. I'd be telling them to get. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what we see, that Jesus was, Jesus was struggling with a few things, but yet John says, Knowing all this about him, he still serves them. Mark 14 and 26 says this. After he washes their feet, they sing a hymn and they go out to the Mount of Olives. The 32nd verse. They went to the garden called Gethsemane and Jesus said, Sit here a while, I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. Notice that as he's walking towards where he's going to pray, they notice, they would eventually all write about this, they notice that he's becoming distressed and troubled. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. And then he returned, and he found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even for an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And Jesus left them again and prayed and the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't even know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. The time has come. But no, the time has come. In other words, he's saying, wait, actually... The time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's be going. My betrayer is here. I see him right over there. Listen to me. Gethsemane was a place where Jesus, I believe that Jesus had to face his greatest struggle. It was the place where he settled what he would do about going to the cross. And I want to talk about a few things. First of all, things got very real. This was the moment that Jesus had been talking to his disciples about. For the last three years, he really hadn't revealed to them the fact that he must die. But as he was approaching Jerusalem, maybe a week out, maybe a couple of weeks out, as he is approaching to Jerusalem, he begins to talk plainly about the fact that he's going to die. And they're actually saying, wait a minute, what, what are you even talking about? They didn't even understand it. In fact, 
Peter said, you need to stop saying this because we all left houses and land to be with you. Now you're saying you're going to die. You don't need to say this. Jesus actually calls him the devil and rebukes him. But now it all gets real. Now it's coming down to the fact that tomorrow Jesus is going to die. So what happens is hearts and lives and loyalty and all these things are being revealed. Many things were revealed at this moment in the life of Jesus. However, this was the place where Jesus settled the will of the Father. I wonder if you've ever been there. I wonder if you've ever had a Gethsemane moment. Now, maybe tomorrow you're not going to be crucified, okay? We just forget about that. But I'm talking about, have you ever been at a place in your life where everything got very, very real? That you felt like you were facing your greatest trial, your greatest challenge, your greatest struggle? Have you ever been there where, where you begin to find out whether or not, you know, the people are around you, whether they're really, really with you? A very, very real, if you will, a come to Jesus moment in your life. There might come a time in your life, maybe there's a time in your life right now that, that you're struggling and you're dealing with your greatest sphere where something in your life has to be settled. Maybe for you, it's not about being settled, but it's about you being surrendered to the will of God. That's what was going on in the life of Jesus. Four things, four things that Jesus struggled with, I believe. Here's some things that happened that night, and I believe it speaks to us today. Number one, Jesus struggled with the enemy. Jesus struggled with the enemy, hell itself. In John 14 and 30, he says, I don't have much time to talk, he tells his disciples, because the ruler of this world approaches. In other words, him knowing and being able to see in the spirit world, he knew that Satan was giving it like this. I can't wait to get my hands on him. This was a moment that had been prophesied for years. Jesus had to struggle with the devil, with salvation of the world, waiting in the balance. There, there, the, the, G, Satan wanted to get his hands on him because he knew that there was no salvation in the world. There was no salvation without a savior. And the only person that could do that was Jesus. So the devil was waiting to get to him. It actually started. It actually started with Judas. I'll, I'll go to that in just a second. But the devil had waited for millenniums. This was not random events that were happening. This was prophecy. This is Old Testament prophecy. The devil had waited millenniums for this opportunity. This had been settled before time began. When, 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 even, even before man began, this was settled that Jesus would take on the sins of the world so this was the moment that was prophesied. This was the moment that, that Satan knew he was coming. He tried to tempt him in the desert when he, tried to tempt, when he tried to tell him to bow down before him. But now, God says, I'm going to take my hands off of I'm going to take my divine protection off of my son in order for the devil to have his moment. This is what Jesus was saying. The hour of the ruler of this world is coming. He gets his way with me. In other words, the enemy had been looking for millenniums for this opportunity to unleash his revenge on the Father through the Son. This was the moment that the devil had waited for. Let me ask you something. Have you ever felt like, well, let me back up. Luke 22 and 3 says, then Satan entered Judas Iscariot. Then Satan entered Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priest and the captains of the temple. You know the story. And he asked them, hey, I want to betray Jesus. And they were excited about this news, and they promised to give him money 
So he agreed and he began, for look, he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when there wasn't anybody around. Have you ever felt like you were fighting hell itself? I mean, the struggles that you were facing, the things that you were facing, even on a daily uh, perspective, it, it, was, it, it was like, this doesn't even make sense. This, is, this doesn't even make sense. Why is this happening? I mean, this is, I, I felt like this before. This is ridiculous. You ever went through anything in your life, you thought, this, this is ridiculous. I, felt, I feel like there's somebody behind this because what I'm facing, really, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but the way it's affecting my life, this is too much. I feel like there's something behind, there's somebody. It's because you are, you are facing the devil. The enemy of Jesus was not Judas. It was the devil who was behind the acts of Judas. Let me tell you something. You are not, your enemy is not the people around you. Your enemy is not your spouse, even though they sometimes act like your enemy, okay? Your, your enemy is not of this world. Listen to Ephesians 6 and 12. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Let me tell you something. Listen, the enemy that you cannot see is way more powerful and much more fierce than the enemy that you can see. There is a spiritual war going on Jesus could see that spiritual war going on, and that's why he said, hey, I don't have time. The enemy is approaching. That's why it says here, Ephesians 6 and 13, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so, you're going, so you can be able to withstand or to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Jesus had a time. Have you, heard, have you heard the scripture as I'm reading? His hour had come. This was the time for him to face evil. There might come a time in your life where you have to face the enemy. There might be a time where you have to face your greatest challenge in the spiritual realm. The Bible says you got to put on every piece of that armor. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You are right in the middle of a spiritual warfare. And even though you can't see it, does not mean it's not affecting your life. You will have to face the enemy. This was not coincidence that the night before he would face his greatest trial. There was no coincidence that tomorrow he has to be crucified and the devil was fighting him in the garden. That's not coincidence. It's not coincidence that the devil would cause all of his disciples to leave and abandon him. It was the darkest night in Gethsemane. Listen to me. It was the darkest night in Gethsemane, but the devil knew that Sunday was on the way. Amen? It, here's the deal. The devil fights the hardest when victory is the closest. Did you hear that? The devil fights the hardest when victory is the closest, which means if you're going through your greatest struggle right now, if you're going through your greatest battle, if you feel like, I don't know how I'm going to get through tomorrow, I don't know how in the world that, that, that I'm going to face this, I, I don't have the strength to go. Let me tell you something. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to throw in the towel because your greatest victory is coming. The devil knows it. It's no coincidence that you're, that you're feeling beaten and beat down. Listen, you hold on. You keep fighting. Victory is around the corner. Amen. So the first thing that Jesus had to struggle with was hell itself or the enemy. Number two, Jesus' struggle was people. Now, this is something that relates more to us because this is something that we can see. We can't see into the spiritual world, but we can, 
We can take a look at people and we can know when people are working us or people working against us. Jesus had to struggle with people. In Mark 14 and 26 it says, and Jesus said to them, listen to what he says to them. This was in, that, in the room before they would go out to the garden. He says, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to abandon me. For it is written, I'm going to strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He's, he's telling them, guys, I just want you to know. And he's not telling this, them this so they'll feel bad. He's telling them this because he's saying, hey, listen, you're all going to fall away, but don't worry about it. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And he told this to Peter, too. He says, but after I'm raised, I will go to Galilee. And Peter said to him, listen to what Peter says. He calls them all out. He says, you love Peter. He says, even though they all fall away, Peter is really, he's really, he understands that they are going to fall away. He says, even if they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Peter, dude, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, before you hear a rooster crow twice, you're going to deny me three times. But he said emphatically, Peter said, no, Lord, if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And then this just kind of gets thrown in at the end. Listen to this. And they all said the same. (laughs) All of them said, yeah, yeah, we'll all die with you, Jesus. We'll all be right there. Jesus knew that that was not true. Matthew 26 and 36. Then Jesus went to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, He's asking them to be with him and just help him through this time in his life. Sit here while I go over and pray. And taking uh, Peter, James, and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Once again, as he's getting close to where he's going to pray, the disciples who would eventually write about this see the distress on Jesus and see that he's troubled. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. In other words, some some, some scholars believe that Jesus began to die the night before There's a reason, and I'll get to that here in just a second. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Then he returned to the disciples. They were asleep. And he he said, can you you not stay awake an hour? Then he goes back and he prays again, 42nd verse. He He comes back and he prays. And when he returned to them a third time, he sees them again. He found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. As I was looking at that, I thought about how the disciples walked with Jesus every day for three years, and they were excited about the fact that he performed miracles. They were excited about the fact that they were walking with this God in the flesh, and they saw him walk on water. They actually saw him raise people from the dead, and as I said, feed the 5,000 people, then they gather up the baskets. They were the elite of the elite. They all had full intention of walking into the, the kingdom. They thought that Jesus would take over and establish a kingdom right here and now in those days. They didn't know that, they didn't understand he had to die first. So they all think that they're going to be ushered in. Jesus, because he performed miracles, he was going to take over, uh, uh, you know, get rid of the Roman oppression. So they're walking around thinking, we're going to rule and reign this earth with Jesus. So they're all excited about that. And then the one thing that Jesus asks them to do, they can't seem to do. (laughs) They love the excitement. But when he really asked them, hey, I want you to be here with me. I want you to go, guys, I want you to go back to that verse. Go back to the the 39th verse. Will you put that 39th verse back up there real quickly? It says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed. And I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play on words here just a second. But that really hit home with me. I thought, at a moment where Jesus needed his disciples the most, when he fell on his face, everybody just couldn't be bothered. 
I mean, think about this. If you really, really want to know who's with you and who's not with you, fall on your face, right? I mean, if you really want to know, that's, that's kind of what is, that's, that, that's when, when truth about people are revealed. If you want to know who's really with you, go through something and fall on your face. If you want to know who's with you, do something wrong and let it be your fault. And let all the smoke clear and see who's standing with you. And who's standing with you, that's, that's where true friendship is revealed. When you fail, that's when, that's when true love is revealed. That's what was going on with Jesus. I don't know about you. But for me, I really don't need you as much in my successes as much as I need you in my struggles. You see, everybody, everybody wants to be a part of success. Everybody, most people want to be a part of your success, but they really don't want to be a part of your struggle. Man, I, I don't know if I want to be a part of your struggle. A few weeks ago, I was at, a, I was at an event where I got to meet, one of our, uh, meet our senator. I walked up to him and shook his hand, and he was, I mean, just... Real, real cool guy. I got to talk to him for about three or four minutes, talked about some of the things that he had done and introduced myself and all that. And, and um, then, you know, parted ways. And as I walked away, I thought to myself, he will never remember me again. In fact, the next time I see him, I'll have to introduce myself to him. And it's not because he's a bad person. It's just because now that he's successful and, you know, all of Washington, Oklahoma, whatever, He's got so many people around him that he can't remember everybody that's with him because he says, but I, I guarantee you, he remembers the people that help him get elected because that was the struggle. Amen? Let me tell you something. If you want to be with me in my successes, and I'm talking about you. I'm using myself as an example. If you want to be with me in my, when I'm successful, I really need you to be there when, when I'm struggling. That's when the truth about people are revealed. Jesus knew this. Jesus already knew it, but you better learn it. In your struggle is where you learn the truth about people. Amen? Number three, Jesus struggled with the Father's will. He struggled with the Father's will. I don't have much more time, John 14 and 30. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. We read that, but listen to this. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me. In other words, I really don't like the way this is going down. Uh, I probably, as the son of the Lord, I would probably do this different. This is not very convenient. This is not going to feel good. I, I, this is kind of rubbing me the wrong way. This is, I, you know, this doesn't settle with me well, but I'm going to do the will of the Father. I believe that he was struggling with the will of the Father. I'll show you that here in just a second. You know, sometimes the right thing to do is the hardest thing to do. Sometimes the will of God, sometimes the will of God, it, it's not very convenient. Sometimes the will of God, it's not, very, it's not very comfortable. Sometimes the will of God is actually kind of painful, and that's why we struggle with it. Well, surely there's an easier way. Well, if there is any other way, surely there's got to be another way, but there was no other way. Right isn't always convenient. Right isn't always popular. The will of God was a struggle with the Lord, but he had to surrender to the Father's will. And lastly, Jesus had to struggle with himself. He struggled with himself. What we see here in this story of Gethsemane is the humanity of our Lord. Now, if you study the scripture, we see, and, and the way the Bible teaches us is Jesus was fully man 
and fully God. Now, that's hard for me to grasp because I think it's got to be in parts. You've got to be 50 man and 50% God. But the way the scripture talks about it and the way we learn this is he, he was 100% man and 100% God. But what we also see is that there was a human side of him that he was struggling with in the Garden of Gethsemane that he had to surrender in order for him to surrender to the Father's will. Mark 13 and 33, I want to show you something. Once again, we go back to the scripture where he takes Peter, James, and John, and he says this, my soul, he says this to them. He's saying this to them. You never see Jesus struggling like this to his disciples. You never see him in any other passage talking to his disciples like that. Why? Because he is, I believe that he is struggling, if I can say this, he's struggling with his humanity, and the enemy is, at, is working at him, just Standing back with bated breath, he's standing back wanting to get his hands on him. Jesus is struggling with the surrender of this. No man takes it from him. He lays his life down. So he's struggling, looking into the spirit world and seeing this. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. I don't want the enemy coming in. I don't want somebody arresting me while I'm not watching. Stay here and keep an eye on this for me. He went a little further and fell down on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Now, let me show you something. I was reading this the other day. He says, Abba, Father, he cried out. Now, everybody knows what this means, Father, okay? Do you know what this word means in the Greek? It means Father. So as I was reading that the other day, I was like... No, I don't understand. He's saying father. He's saying father, father. But it's a different term of father. So I got to looking up this term, and I, I found this. When Jesus says father here, this is a term of honor. But when he says father here, Abba, that is a term of endearment. This is a term of uh, intimacy, if you will. This, the term father there is a term of of kingship, but this is a term of sonship. This is about authority, but this is about relationship. Are you with me? So if we, if we were going to really talk about this in the context of what Jesus was trying to say, he's saying, Dad, Father. In other words, he's appealing to God about what's about to go down based on his relationship. I am your only son. I was there when you created the worlds. I know that you hold time in your hands. You can reverse time. You can redo what you decided to do with bringing salvation to the world. You don't have to do this. So he's asking his father, is there any way that you can, is there any way that you can do something about this situation? I believe, I believe that the hardest thing at this moment was the separation of love from, from father to son. I believe it was the hardest thing, not, not simply the, the physical anguish that he was about to go, uh, about to endure, but the separation where it was like he doesn't get the mercy and he doesn't get what he's asking for, but in reverse, he gets the judgment of God. He gets the abandonment of God. I can't imagine what that must have felt like for the Lord, uh, for, for our Lord Jesus I, I, I was thinking about this this past week, and I know it doesn't compare, but Baylor is my only son, my only son, and he's not with us right now. He is, with, uh, he is in basic training for the National Guard. I have absolutely no contact with him, none. I get a little piece of paper, 
and I haven't seen him for nearly six weeks. But the hardest thing about all this is that we have never been separated from each other. And for the last eight years, it's been just him and myself living alone. So it was, the hardest thing was hugging him goodbye and, turn, and just turning him loose into somebody else's care. And I know it's, you know, it's, it, people go through this or whatever, but it's a very hard thing if you've been with your son, your only son. And then second of all, when he writes me, he says, man, dad, I miss you. And man, I miss the church. How's the church doing? Tell me how everything's going. And then, second of all, if you know Baylor, and many of us do because he leads serve, Baylor is used to being celebrated. He throws his own birthday parties. That's what Baylor does. How many of you know that if you're, they don't care who you are there? He's not, he's not used to being yelled at. He's not used to people being negative with him. He's used to positive reinforcement. I was, I was prepping him. I said, son, listen to me. It ain't positive reinforcement up there. He, was telling, he wrote me a letter. He said, dad, you know that every time we're talking, we're yelling. We're yelling. Well, and I was just, hey, just tell the drill sergeant to pipe down next time he yells at you. See how that goes for you. And he said, he said, when we answer, we have to yell, yes, drill sergeant, yes, drill sergeant. He said, he said all day long, we're yelling and we're, we're doing these things. I saw these pictures of him. It's, man, it's, it's really hard for me because he's lost like 20, 25 pounds. I saw a picture of him. They, they follow him on Facebook, and I just see the, the stress in his eyes. It's good for him. I'm glad it's happening, but it's, it's really hard, the separation of it. He said, that, he said, man, I woke up the entire barracks at 3 o'clock in the morning because I was dreaming, yelling, Yes, drill sergeant. <laughs> but the hardest thing is being separate. But here's the difference. I, I still love him, and I'm able to write him, and I check on him, and, and uh, two or three, I'm writing two or three letters a week, because, but I still love him. But that's not what was going on with Jesus. There was a separation. Not only was there a separation, but there was also a separation from the love of the Father. The wrath of the world, or the wrath of God for the sins of the world, the Bible said, will be laid upon him. Imagine this. This is hard for me to imagine. But imagine being God, the Father. My mind can't even go there. But can you imagine planning to kill your own son and your son trying to talk you out of it, saying, Dad, you don't have to do this. Father, I am your only son. I know you. I know what you have the power to do. I know that you don't have. I was there. I was there when you created the foundations of the world. You don't have to do this. Is there any way, any way possible that you don't have to do this? Luke 22 and 43 says this. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him and being in agony. Agony. He prayed more earnestly. And listen to this. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Agony. I looked up this term. I don't know if I can say it. Hematohydrosis is a rare condition that we see that Jesus is suffering in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood, occurring under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Jesus was under emotional stress, not because of the physical that was about to go down, but because of the separation of what was going on with him and the Father. Finally, the struggle was over that led to his surrender. In Matthew 26 and 42, it says, the second time he prayed, listen to this. My Father, this is a different prayer. If this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. It took the struggle to get to the surrender in John 18 and 4, I want to close with this. It says, Jesus fully realized all that was going on to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. And he said, who are you looking for? 
what he's talking about is the guards and Judas were there. It was time for Jesus to be arrested. This was right after he prayed. The disciples had fallen asleep. Everything was going on. After all the agony, Jesus probably had blood going down the sides of his head. As they are all there, Jesus stepped forward to all the temple guards and to Judas. And he says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. And the Bible says they all stepped back. All the guards, everybody stepped back and fell backwards. I don't know if that was a divine thing or that was you come in contact with Jesus and his presence. And Any other time, they couldn't touch him. But in this moment, when he says, that, this is who I am, the Bible says they all fell backwards. They had to pick themselves up off the ground in order to arrest him. The point of that was, you're not taking me. You're not taking my life. I'm giving my life. But only after he had gone through the struggle of Gethsemane could he surrender to the cross. The struggle of the cross was won in Gethsemane. This was the devil's moment. The devil would be handed the son. The struggle got real. Jesus is really going to die. The betrayer was revealed. The denial, the abandonment, all that was going on. But it took the surrender. In order for Jesus to be king of kings and lord of lords, in order for him to be raised from the dead, he had to die. And then he, didn't just, he couldn't just die. He had to die by way of the cross because it was crucified. In order for him to get to the cross, he had to get through the struggle of Gethsemane. But the struggle led to the glory of the resurrection. Amen. There's a point to it. So I want to leave you with a question today. What are you struggling with? What's your struggle? That struggle. If it, that struggle, if, if you've been praying about something, if you've been believing about something, that struggle has a point. And God wants you to take there. Maybe for you, maybe your situation is, I need to surrender. I need to surrender to the, the will of God in this situation. Ask yourself that as we pray today. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today. And thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to learn of this time in Gethsemane. I pray that you will speak to every person, that you will minister to us in this moment, in Jesus' name. As every head is bowed, nobody looking around, maybe you're here and you can say, Travis, I am, I'm going through the struggle of my life. I'm going through a situation and I'm not, I'm talking to people that, that belong to Christ. You belong to the Lord. He's your Lord and Savior, but you're going through a struggle right now. You feel like you're going through the, the tryingest time of your life. I want to tell you something. There's a point to it and don't give up because victory is on its way. Right now is your season of struggle, but your victory, your resurrecting moment is coming, but you got to get through your Gethsemane moment. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. You might take the hand of the person that you love, sit next to you if you're close to them. It's powerful when we pray for each other. Maybe that's not what you're feeling. Maybe the person sitting next to you is going through something. Pray for that person sitting next to you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that's going through that Gethsemane moment, Lord, going through that, that, that struggle in their lives. First of all, I ask, Lord, that you'll give us strength to hang on. Second of all, I pray, Lord, that we won't give up in this moment. The enemy fights the hardest when victory is the closest. So I pray that we hang on and we get through this moment, through this struggle, Lord, and give us victory. We know victory is on the other side and we declare it and we believe it. In the name of Jesus, if you believe that, say amen. 
If you'll go ahead and bow your heads, continue to bow your heads. I want to pray one more prayer. Like we always do, if you're here and you don't know Christ, and he's not Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to pray with you right now. I won't ask you to stand. I won't ask you to come down here. I won't single you out. I just want to pray with you just like we prayed. If you're here and you can say, Travis, I don't know Jesus. He's not Lord and Savior of my life. Or maybe you can say, Travis, I walked away from God. Whatever the case may be, you know you're not right with God. I want to pray a prayer, and I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to know just by you lifting your hand and putting it down real quickly. If you can say, Travis, that's me. I see your hand. You can put it down. Anybody else? See your hands over here. You can put them down. Anybody else? See your hand over here. Anybody else? I just want to know. I see your hand right there. You can put it down. Anybody else? Okay, we're going to pray. I don't know if I saw everybody, but God saw your hand and God saw your heart. And, and, and today's your opportunity to come home to Christ. Just repeat after me and mean it with all your heart. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as I am before you today, I give you my heart and my life. And Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and wash me clean and whole. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. Now take my life and use it for your cause. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. Big moment, big moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.